0: Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new Redefining Cybersecurity Podcast with Sean Martin. Have you ever thought that we're selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Well, perhaps we are. Let's look at how we can organize a successful information security program that integrates business culture with people, process, and technology to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. everybody. You're very welcome
2: to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. This is Sean Martin, your host, where I get to talk to all kinds of cool people who are much times, many times much smarter than myself, <laughs> thankfully, and uh, do a lot of research and have a lot of insights into things that help us run our businesses uh, more securely so we can not just protect the revenue that we generate, but to actually help business grow and reach their their uh, growth objectives, and uh, bottom line is one thing. And if you're spending money uh, paying ransomware, you're not uh, you're not helping the bottom line. Right? Even if you do help things grow, uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about today: is the, the state of ransomware and kind of the culture around that, and and. Maybe some trends that uh, we're seeing that might change how we how we view and address and respond to ransomware attacks. And I'm thrilled to have uh, Ari Schwartz on. Ari, thanks for thanks for joining me today.
3: Thank you for having me, Sean.
2: And this was, uh, as many of my conversations seem to be these days, uh, is driven by a post that you made, uh, which was a result of article or blog that you wrote, uh, the titled the path to banning ransomware payments, I thought this is an interesting topic. Let's see if Ari is willing to, uh, join me for a chat and and you agreed. So thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me for this. I'm I'm excited to get into the, the nuts and bolts of it. Um, before we do a few words from you, kind of a view of your background, some of the things you've been involved with and, uh, we'll, we'll go from there.
3: Sure. Uh, so I, uh, started working on tech policy, um, probably around, you know, uh, um, about almost, uh, 30 years ago and then, uh, came to Washington a couple of years after working in Boston for a while with a bunch of nonprofits. And then, uh, uh, my first, uh, Work that I did uh, led to some work on privacy and security, worked at the Center for Democracy and Technology for 12 years, and then uh, moved into government and worked uh, at NIST for uh, several years. And then uh, from there was uh, detailed to the uh, secretary's office to be the tech advisor to the secretary and then uh, came to uh uh, from there was, uh, moved to the white house and national security council staff and was there for two and a half years. Um, and, uh, when I left there, I moved, uh, I got, uh, I was contacted by, uh, old friend of mine who was at a, a firm called Venable, uh, which is a law firm, uh, and, uh, asked me to build a, a consulting team there uh here uh of non-lawyers so we're a bunch of non-lawyers at a law firm uh that we do policy and we do uh some operational work as well and uh you know really pulling together lots of other companies and trying to come up with solutions in this space is part of what we do um, as well as working with the clients of the firm and individual companies on their policies or uh or processes um and so uh we you know, one of the groups that we worked with uh, is is the Institute for um, Security and Technology. They built this um, ransomware task force in 2020. Um, Well, it started around then, and uh, we were active in that from the beginning. Um, And one of the issues that came up there was uh, ransomware payments. We had had, obviously, working somewhere with working with a bunch of clients um, in this space uh, already knew a good deal about ransomware, uh, at least how the payment side work and how people negotiated it and how, what insurance companies how to work with insurance companies on it. Um almost everyone in that at that point, I mean that was like, you know, as things were changing, almost everyone at that point uh uh was paying ransoms. And um there was a viewpoint, uh, well from, I think most of the people in the task force, like we're not at the point where if you ban payment today, like that would be a disaster for everybody. Uh, And I was certainly of that camp, but I did suggest that, you know, it should be the goal of governments to get to the point where we could ban ransomware, right? Like payments of ransomware and ban ransom, you know, so that people wouldn't be paying. Um, And that should really be the goal. And uh, really we have to build a path there and the first, Steps of that are what the ransomware, the the original version of the ransomware task force focused on. um, With some point saying basically, at some point, governments are going to have to ban it. So one one of the things, and then and I found this year that really we had gotten to a point where a lot less people are paying. You know, it's a. In fact, if you read some of the reports, it suggests it's under fifty percent. I would say it's probably right around fifty percent from what I've seen in the in the field. you know a lot of those payments now are about more about extortion than about uh locking just locking down computers but instead of you know uh we have this information on you and uh, we're gonna send it out is what more of those payments are about so um so the the kind of the it has changed uh what the what the types of payments we're seeing um, I think we're at a point now where we can kind of have a conversation of what it might look like. And that's really, and, and a lot of, there's, there, there was a, uh, in November, December, I, I was contacted several times by people talking about, um, well, maybe we should ban ransomware now. And I think um, I wanted to kind of lay out in this paper a little bit more of how we get there um, and, what, and thinking about having thought about it for the last three years, you know, knowing that we're going to need
2: this path eventually. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I had the pleasure of, uh, speaking with Sean Tuma, uh, the other day, who's also at a law firm looking at this, uh, operationally speaking. Now he, he and I were talking more around broader risk management and security operations and incident response and the connection to, to cyber insurance. And he, he confirmed your point and, and also a stat that that's in the article or the blog that you wrote, uh, Less, less, and less entities are paying. Um, we didn't talk about the amounts, but uh, the, the amounts seem to be going up, even yeah, though are up. people are paying. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting that that those things jive. Um, what I want to do is maybe kind of talk through why maybe what what Sean suggested is that organizations are better prepared, right? So. Uh, They have the backups to recover. They have some technologies and controls in place to mitigate the the likelihood of of compromise. I'd like to get your perspective. Why fewer are paying? Are they more prepared? And then what about the other half? I think they (laughs) are more
3: prepared. I think if people are more prepared, I think there has been a new focus from government and from uh, private sector on combating ransomware, so there's a lot more information being shared about the threat actors and about their techniques. Um, a lot more tools being built to stop the specific techniques that we saw in the past. So that's why you see a shift in the in the way that the uh, what the what the actors are doing. Um, that we've seen some lot less reputable people or people who um, in in, in the, the bad where the bad guys are uh, um, basically not honoring not coming back or so if you pay them, they can just come right back, right? And so we've seen some of that. We've seen cases where the keys don't work when you get them, even though you've paid for them, um, which may or may not be the fault of the, the the guy. I mean, they might think they're giving you a key that works, but because of the changes that they've made in the technology over time, it doesn't work. So, um, the, you know, that I think we've seen some of that and that kind of it plays into the decision-making as well. Uh, but I do think there is better prepare better preparation there's better backups there's better segmentation which plays into it too where we see sometimes uh, um cases where uh customers say well it's i'll only be losing all my old mail i don't really care that much right i'm not gonna pay that much money and and run the risks of that for um for just that just my you know archive mail um so it, if you have segmentation you get a little bit better results out of that um so about backups obviously are key there too and that's what uh, uh covert says in their report about this uh is that the backups play a key role um and yeah. i think that's true too so um yeah so i think that those are the main reasons but you know again people are still paying so it's not as though it's one hundred 100 there but it's gotten much better
2: so I think those two points, there's the economic, which you kind of touched on, and there's the, I don't think we really said it directly, but the the moral, and I'm looking at your imperatives that you wrote about. Yeah. So really yeah. economic is a driver. Um, <clears throat> people might just say, I, I have the backups and I'm not going to pay, or even if I don't I'm recover, I'm just going to figure a different way out. Then there's the middle one of the national security imperative, which I don't know how many people... About that, clearly, there's
3: still. Yeah, paying. this is <laughs> they're more why governments because I think that from the private sector point of view, um, the, the it's kind of like, well, we'll just work this out over time, over time, it'll just drift down slowly. Um, you know, let us continue to pay. We've basically got it, we're moving in the right direction. It might take a while, we might never actually get to zero, but we can keep it at a low level. And uh, I'm trying to say with those with this argument, like that, governments are. Are always going to feel the need to, to want to ban the payments, and there's three reasons for that. So um, the first one, it, 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 well, I'll go. Uh, the first one it, that I have listed is the um, is the moral imperative, right? And that idea is, you know, um, as you pay, you're actually funding other people. You're funding uh, to, you're funding the criminal other people to be v- victims of the crime. Right, you're paying the bad, you're paying the bad guys to increase the crime, um, and so uh, it is better for society to stop it um, in in that way. And so, if you think of what governments are there for, it's like just a basic tenet of what governments exist for is to stop situations where we have that kind of uh, um, uh, moral imperative. Capability. And this is like goes back to Kant, Immanuel Kant, right? So I got to use some uh, uh, things things you learn in undergrad, right? Like uh, there you go. We talk about the Kantian moral imperative, right? Uh, This is just a classic case of that, right? Where um, uh, do you want you want when we when we when government when the rational act in a situation is to do the thing that's wrong for society and everyone has to do that, it's government's job to come in and step in and make sure that uh, it is not the wrong thing to do, that the the rational thing to do is the right thing for society, right? So is the way to put that um, right. so uh, that's uh where we see that um you know uh, it, some people might make that determination on their own that they shouldn't do it but for the most case that's not going to be their driver they're going to make the rational decision which in, in which in 2020 always was to pay now there's a little bit more of a choice in situation. Um, yeah. the situation but that's that moral imperative still exists in a lot of cases then there's a national security imperatives from a government's point of view. And so, and this is why governments didn't care, right? A lot of governments didn't care until uh, 2021 or so when they started to see that this was funding government actions Mm. uh, in particular. And so uh, particularly we saw, there was discussion about this with North Korea, that North Korea, um, North Korean actors were involved um, and, looking to make money off of ransomware. Um, but we, we've also seen it from some of the actors that work with Russia. Even if the Russian government isn't actively using it to fund the Russian government, they might be using it. The, the actors that spend most of their time in ransomware can come over and help the Russian government with something else on the side or the Chinese or the Iranians. We've seen flirt with it. So uh I think there it is uh you know something that has come up quite a bit and that got governments a lot more interested and gets uh, national security side of the house uh, more active on the issue and they're always looking you know if we can put, come in with a law to solve the situation they're going to they're going to be in favor of that and then the economic one which i think is the more straightforward one for most people which is just a total drain on uh the the society. it's, all, it's the all black market you know yeah. no no upside for most uh legitimate economy so all three of those things i think play into the way a government thinks about it now from again, the rational thing to do in 2020 was to pay, right? Even despite all those things, right? And that's really, I think the driver that where the tension comes in is, you know, people are thinking about this from a rational perspective, uh, totally rational perspective. I mean that from a, a philosophical sense of the word, um, not the crazy, not crazy sense of the way it's generally used in society, right? So, uh, but it, it, the rational act is what was to pay. And now we're getting to the point where that may or may not be the case, and the question is, how do we tip it a little bit more so that it's not the rational thing to do anymore? So that more yep. people start doing, it. and then we can get that number down uh, with gov- with some government action involved faster than it would just on its own.
2: Yeah, and let, let's talk through there. There are four points there um, that that you suggest lead us to a place where where it becomes rational, right? We we can we reach a point where the right and expected and comfortable, we'll say, <laughs> thing to do yeah. is to not pay. And uh, the, the government gets involved in helping that. So I,
3: yeah. Ransomware bans, right? They think, well, you're going to go to jail right. if you pay the fine, right? And I think, and, and some people have suggested that directly. Like, yeah, if you pay a fine, if you or right. you pay the ransomware, you, you, you should go straight to jail uh, um, for paying the ransomware. That would solve the problem. We've made it a criminal act. Um, I don't like the idea of criminalizing uh, the way a victim has to respond and even for the government to kind of make that determination, especially when it has been the rational thing to do for until now, right? right. When, like
2: another choice, except the, yeah, except the one that now is unlawful and I can, one can be penalized for it. <laughs> That's right. Not, both both, right. both so, situations are bad. Yeah.
3: I think uh, if we think of it more of a, as a civil situation, right, where we can come up with actions where it's a fine or it's a uh, or or other things that we have, people have to do if um they're you know they're, uh, they're, so that there's other downsides um to their action um then they might weigh it differently right and and especially uh let's so we'll start with reporting which um sure. you know, the u.s government has already decided to move towards for critical infrastructure, at least, um, that people have to report ransomware payments. So um, we're already moving in that direction. Um, and then uh, the second one that I have there that that I don't think has gotten had people I hadn't heard before this, but has come up in other contexts is to have government security oversight for companies that pay. So if you pay a ransom, that's fine, but then you also enter into a um, 20 year agreement with the F- federal trade commission as they do for uh binding you know binding decisions binding uh agreements that they come into with companies that have had big security problems in the past um have a pattern or practice of uh lack of security right um so i give the federal trade commission as an example there could be some other government agency probably and and um but i like the idea of uh having it be an independent regulatory body that is the one that's kind of overseeing that, uh, effort and, um, you know, ha- have them make that determination and run that program, especially one that has had proud, um, has had uh, success doing that in the past. Um, then the other one is the one I raised before where you could, you could get fines, right. Where you could just add in, you know, some flat amount, or it could be the same amount that you pay the criminal, you have to pay to the, to the federal government. And that's used, into the program for uh, helping uh, companies turn around their security and um, put back into security, et cetera. And then for criminal charges uh, is the last one I have on there. And again, I don't like the idea of uh, victimizing people. What I would say is if you purposely tried to subvert this system, you weren't reporting it, and you were purposely trying to shove this underground, then it becomes a criminal case. So uh, we're we're trying to get this all above board as much as we can, turn it more into a civil act. and uh, et cetera.
2: No, I'm, I'm going to raise this point. It's not in your list. Um, all, all, I believe all four. Let me double check it. <laughs> all four of those are, yeah, uh, victim reports, victim gets oversight, victim pays fines, victim perhaps has criminal charges. I'm, I'm going to bring up a point that I've heard, I don't know, probably 15 years ago, maybe yeah, at least 15 years ago that uh, I don't know if you know Jeremiah Grossman uh, pitched this idea or presented this idea or concept of of security warranties I think he calls it software warranties but where the vendors claiming to provide the protections are liable to some extent for the failure of their systems to protect against what they're supposed to protect against in this case ransomware. I'm wondering what your thoughts on that. I know it's not part of what you wrote about, just any thoughts yeah. on how that fits in perhaps as a, there's actually, as a way effort.
3: there's actually an interesting effort right now in the federal, in the federal government that where they're having uh, contractors that sell software to the U S government self-attest that their security is, uh, does what they say it does. Right. And, and, and meets certain security standards based on the NIST uh, SSDF. Right. So, um, and so they're going to self-attest to that. And then that puts them on the hook for being liable just by saying for under the fraud act to, of selling it to the government, you've said that this thing does what you say it does. If it doesn't meet those standards, then you, you, you uh, you get it to me. That's probably, uh, moving more a sm- closer in the right direction than something we could do on ransomware payments. Um, because on the ransomware payment side, I think it's, 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 it's going to be hard to figure out what failed and why it failed, whether it's whose error it was. And if we have to do that for each case, um, we're going to end up with a lot of litigation around that front, right. As opposed to, um, uh, you know, so, so I don't think you get quite to the answer that you'd hope you would. Um, even though I understand the desire to move more liability to the, the vendors themselves. Um, so I think uh, you know I would like to see a, more of a move towards um, us coming up with this what the what the standards should be for software and having the companies commit to those standards and then um, holding them accountable for that separately from what happens to victims on the side of, um, of that. So the the, vic- yeah. the victims might be able to you know have liability <laughs> standards against the companies that, that, right. as well, but you know. We're just trying to stop payments right that is the point is yeah. you know why don't you take the? you have a choice you have a you, you should yep. you have a choice to protect yourself better and have levels of resilience and you have a choice of uh once you get hit like do you do you fight or do you not fight we're just we're just trying to tip the balance a little more towards the you the should fight right and then so it's it's, it's somewhat of a different uh set of discussions, even though it's a related area, right?
2: Right. Yeah, so I, I have two two burning questions. One is uh, in relation to the standards and perhaps audits and certifications and whatnot, which I think might fit into the last point of your article in, in terms of exceptions, and there's probably more to it than, than what I'm thinking of there. And then the other is the role of cyber insurance in this e- equation. Um, do you have any thoughts there? I, so on, that, on that, the, the standard on the, on the side, is- well, yeah.
3: Yeah, um, on the standard side, um, the uh, I think um, uh, we, we I look you know you look at the NIST Cybersecurity Framework and what the what profile would be for each sector, and then have them work off of that. Like we've seen the FTC put promote that idea in the past in these kind of situations. Um, I think that's probably the direction that I would put it toward, but I think we want to leave it open, you know, as time goes on, if, there, if these these change. So I would leave it open to the FTC to kind of make that determination. But I personally lean towards the idea of continuing down the path that they've already started on and working with the NIST cybersecurity framework, which has generally been embraced for these kinds of situations. And then, uh, for, you know, we, we also actually, we, they actually have a ransomware profile under the NIST cybersecurity framework. So you could just focus on the NIST on the ransomware profile, right? Which it works for any industry, Um, and then, uh, on insurance, I mean, I, I did leave that question out. Um, I, uh, I think that it's still a, a very good one. I, I, I sort of. Um, uh, the more talking the insurance company that some of the insurance companies after I published it, um, I've, I've, uh, sort of gone back and forth a little bit about what what the role should be. So I, I think, um, there is a question as to whether you say, I, I think, we, well, one thing we want to be sure of is that insurance doesn't cover everything involved here, that the government, the insurance isn't paying the government in particular, right? So maybe, it, like I was thinking, my first thought was we could have the insurance, you could still get insurance to cover the payment to the, that actor, right, even though it's we consider it to be um, illegal in in a civil sense, um, you, could, you could still get a coverage to do that if you need it. Um, I think we could also, but I think there's another approach to it too, where you say um, this, that the exemption is given in a case by case basis and it's based on loss of life or major economic harm, right? And the government is making a determination about whether you, have lo- you would have loss of life or ma- major economic harm. And then you could say, well, in those cases, companies that would, might be in those situations could get insurance and, but they would have to get the approval of the government in order to get the insurance, um, which I think would be, you know, that makes that insurance rarely used, um, but it does give people, you know, in super terrible situations, the ability to get it paid for. Um, so I'm still between those two kind of viewpoints on like, what, how, do, how does insurance fit into this discussion? You don't want to be in the situation we were in 2020, where insurance was actually fueling uh, ransomware growth. Um, right. I think later on, and that stopped, and and now we're working. We don't see that as much, but um, you don't want to be. I think we do worry about ransom. All everything being paid for by being able to be paid for by the insurance company. But the insurance company's made it harder to pay, to get paid back recently, and which is another reason people have gone away from paying. So.
2: Yeah. Yep. Now this this wild idea, and you, I don't know if you have thoughts on it or not, but uh, perhaps the direct payment where the the decision to make the payment by the organization or by the victim might uh, to our to your points earlier it's right now it's the rational thing to do to make the payment to get out of the mess perhaps if there's an immediate intermediary <laughs> that, that helps make that decision i don't know if that's a, a commercial entity I don't, I, don't know, I don't know that i want to suggest that but perhaps there's a government entity that, that, that's the intermediary, at least then they can see what's going on and what the, who the actors are and what the impact might be and help make the decision. Uh, any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah. I mean, so there have been these, um, these intermediaries that have worked to negotiate the payments. And there's been some concern about those intermediaries. There's been some that have thought to have been too close to the bad actors and like grown too close to them and like worked out deals with them um i haven't seen that from my side that the ones that we work with um are very professional and actually um definitely help bring down the prices in the ransoms and uh tell people you know give people a lot of comfort about the steps that they're taking because they see so many of these and they know who the bad actors are um so i actually think they help but there has been some discussion about sort of um certifying those kind of actors making sure that they're that the, that They're actually working on behalf of the people, the folks involved, which I think is part of this. Um, But I I was thinking more
2: from the, if, if the government, I'll just say the government, having a view into all of that. So more than just more than we made the payment and now we have to report, I'm thinking if they can be involved during the process Mm -hmm. during negotiation or even before payments made, they can learn a ton perhaps to help yeah, that's drive. That's
3: true. That's true. I think, um, uh, that's a possibility. Uh, I have to, it would have to be spelled out a little bit more. What kind of cases to get involved? Cause there are a lot of them. And then the question is if they're forced to respond to all of them, you're gonna, you're ending up with a very large bureaucracy around, uh, yep. something that we're hoping to make go away. So, uh, uh, exactly. like it's hard then, then the bureaucracies like look for things to do after they exist, you know, you don't that's want to right. sound the, uh. You're actually right. around yeah. there for trying to put them we have out to of keep day
2: our day. jobs and keeps our keep our budget. Yeah, exactly.
3: Uh, so I uh, so I think that uh, I prefer I like the idea of, the, of them responding to the reporting afterwards, using the reporting to do that. But if if we really feel that the, that the best way for to stop it, and that, that might be a, a good approach. So.
2: So what um, what are some of the cases where an exception might be made, assuming we get to. a a banned state
3: i think something like what we saw um you know we've seen in some of these cases with hospitals um where you've had hospitals that uh where it seemed like there was they're making a life or death decision uh involved i think you know colonial pipeline might be an edge case there where we we felt like the economy was at risk really at risk um on that one in the past you would uh I don't think the government wanted to be involved in making that decision. And they left it all to the company to make that decision. Uh, if you're forced the government to get all well, might actually be a better decision made, uh, in, in reviewing it. So, um, whether, whether they should pay or not. So, um, um, I would prefer it to be the, one, like, one of the reasons I like the idea of an independent regulator doing it is cause I'd like to have, a you know, uh, commission vote on it rather than the FBI making that determination because what, what I've seen of the FBI making determinations in these kind of cases is that they don't want to get involved at all. Like their view is, you know, we're here to investigate and solve these crimes and we're not here to make the determination, like you have to make the decision. So they're almost never going to give an exemption for anything. Um, they don't want to be the one who, who's, who's put on the line. It has to to make the determination of exactly when that happens. So it has to be in a totally extreme case for the, in that kind of case. So I think in some ways it's more important who the, um, one making the determination is, and they can come up with a sets of criteria around it. But I do think it would be a a extreme case like a hospital or, um, uh, you know, uh, there have been cases where we've seen um, entire towns shut down or or, uh, state government shut down for long periods of time. Uh, so I think that, you know, well, what's the economic harm to the, to that town and, and staying to make that determination. It might be worth keeping them down and have, have them kind of work their way out of it themselves, uh, and not pay. Um, you know, I think we've seen, we've seen governments successfully do that. So, but you know, who's, you need to kind of, so I don't want to say in every one of those cases, but I think you want to have that kind of balance review. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is if it's critical and they get the exception, they become even uh, an even bigger target because <laughs> right. the, the criminals know. Well, those are the only ones that get to pay, so we may as well
3: target them. If you don't want to. You don't want to move it more towards the life, life or death. Mm-hmm. I do think at that mm-hmm. point, when you when you have had that to happen to you, though, you, they better like buck them up and make sure that they can withstand yeah. uh, attacks in the future as well as yeah. so for that reason. Um,
2: yeah. So, so I have a, a three-part question to to close here, Ari. How how likely and when do you think a ban might happen? And what, if any, blockers exist that need to be removed in order for it to happen? I can I can start with those two if you want, and then yeah, I'll, the third.
3: You know. I think I think that eventually it will happen. I think countries will do it. I mean. We ban a similar situation as we ban payments to terrorists, kidnappings, payments to terrorism, right? And pretty much most countries do that at this point. So uh, I think once you see one country start to do it and come up with a successful approach to it, it's going to, there'll be dominoes. uh, Other countries will pick up on that. Um, So the question is more like, you know, how long will that take? And I'm not totally sure, but I think probably within the next uh, three to five years, I'll start to see countries come up with, uh, approaches on that. Um, and then I think we need a law passed in this case for it to happen because there's no one that really has the authority to do some of the things that I'm spelling out here. Um, even, even if it were that they did take the criminal ban, you would have to add it to the list of things that were already existed in that criminal statute. So I think we probably, you probably need legislation and go through Congress in the U S for yeah. sure.
2: You see that at, at the federal level versus a state I know some of the states have been aggressive for other things. Yeah,
3: be, it, A state could do it. Uh, I think it would be sort of weird. <laughs> like yeah, <it> would. <laughs> you can pay this in California, but you can't pay it in right. Uh, Oregon, so, right? Like, so right. Um, that would be weird, but uh, it's, yeah. it is, it, and I think people probably would push, you know, for uh, right. interstate, uh, you know, saying so that it was unconstitutional because it it's interstate commerce involved here um if they're they're more involved based in more than one state so um but i think uh uh they could do it a state could do it so but i think generally Mm. speaking a federal would be a lot more successful especially for the types of things i'm talking about about building a program yeah Uh, because those programs already exist in the federal level and most states don't have something like that
2: yeah makes sense so a a two-way question before i get to three and you mentioned other countries and one flips, the other would likely follow. Have you seen the actions in other countries on this front? that are? I mean, I've heard
3: folks from the UK talk about it. Um, I think Australia has talked about it. Um, yeah, those are the two I think that have been the most active I've heard, where I've heard politicians talk about it in, in those countries. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sure there have been some others as well that have raised it, though.
2: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right, the third question. Uh, for my for my listeners and and watchers what uh what should they prepare for i mean obviously better protection but three to five years let's assume this happens what what should they start preparing
3: yeah i think i I mean one thing is uh, that's obvious is don't assume that the insurance that your insurance is going to save you on this front um we've seen a lot of people who um where, where insurance isn't paying now as much as they used to, paying out as much as they used to. So even if you've seen cases where insurance is paid in the past, like the rules have changed. And, and the fact that less people are paying now means insurance is probably gonna start paying less, which is, you know, in the uh, larger society sense, it's a good thing, but for your company, it means you gotta do more risk mitigation beyond insurance, right? So, and, and I think getting a message out to, f- to folks that, you know, you need to like, look for uh, uh, ransomware protection and then also exercise for it. Um, I think, you know, and exercise your backups, right? People forget (laughs) back up front that, uh, you know, you actually have to uh, make sure that it works. Restore. Right, (laughs) you have to be able to restore uh, and not just that it it copied over somewhere. (laughs) Um, So that uh, we've seen a lot of failures on that front too. So I think those are the main uh, sets but um and, you know segmentation obviously as I said before too being a big one in this in this regard too so um uh, I think those are the kind of mitigating factors and then the, just a the general uh set cyber controls out there uh that uh, they're the same for ransomware it's everywhere else I mean c- c- credential uh, having good identity management, procedures and credentials, credential protection, um, and segmentation there too is really a key in this one too.
2: Yeah, and I'll I'll toss in, I mean, we all want this to diminish, if not completely go away. So whatever we can do to help do our part to help drive that, I think we should figure out what that is. I don't know what it is, hopefully somebody else does but don't fight it, right? Or don't just don't just go with the flow because everybody else is, or it, it seems easiest. It might cost a few extra bucks, might take a little extra time, but I think the goal is to, to get this to, to go away somehow. So
3: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think it's been helpful for security companies that have not, I mean, for, for security entities, inside companies that have not been hit to raise it because some like, they know someone, almost everyone has been hit by ransomware in some way, or at least some kind of extortion attempt that it's easy to kind of get it, to demonstrate the potential harm uh, from it to your organization. So in that way, I think we, we should still use it and, and uh, um, try and use that to get the attention of leadership around it and get more money to uh, get more resources towards, towards this. So there's almost an, you know, uh uh, it's it's a good way to get people capture people's attention
2: yep yep pay me now pay me later yeah (laughs) it's better better to take care of it ahead of time well ari uh really appreciate uh the conversation and your time uh talking to me about this topic and and for putting that that article together to uh to help drive it of course for folks listening and watching i'll put links to uh, your linkedin post and the and the blog post as well so they can all I'll follow up and read that, and uh, perhaps connect with you if they have further questions. And uh, any final thoughts, Ari?
3: No, I appreciate you having me, Sean. Thanks a lot. Good way uh, to kick off the new
2: year here. So exactly. Let's let's move toward the band. So thanks everybody for uh, for listening and watching, and uh, please subscribe, share with your friends and uh, enemies, and uh, we'll see you on all the future episodes here of Redefining Cybersecurity on ITSP Magazine. Cheers. Thanks.
1: Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader, whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Cybersecurity with Sean Martin, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think... Then share this show and itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand with our conversations, you can sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.